Hij is Christian. En dat is Jimmer. It's a Dutch announcement today. Welcome back to two physical therapists and a bag of chips. This bag of chips smells absolutely delicious. It's, it's a very potent bag. The Boulder Canyon Jalapeno Cheddar Chip. Probably one of the best smelling chips we've opened. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes cheddar can be overwhelming, but we're going to talk about groin pull first. Yes. So groin injury, groin strain, groin pull, whatever you want to call it. Uh, anatomically speaking, we're talking about the adductor group, which consists of adductors longus, magnus, and brevis, as well as pectineus, gracilis, and sometimes they include sartorius, which I think is kind of strange because functionally speaking, it doesn't do that. But no, sartorius is predominantly a lateral rotator of the hip. Yeah, but it sits on the inside of the thigh, sort of at some point. So some people have included it, but I think it's strange. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it applies. But I wanted to mention it because you see it from time to time. I would love to get some input from somebody who's ever seen an isolated sartorius pull. That is a great question. Yeah. That would be hard, really hard to do, actually. Just just curious. Well, it's the longest muscle in the body. It's probably really hard to pull, honestly. Right. Because everything else is shorter. Everything else around it is short and tight. Yeah. And so it would be the last possible thing. The sartorius is like the guy that's just hanging out on the beach, relaxing while everybody else is trying to keep their windscreen down. He's got his banana hammock on and his yeah. sunglasses. And yeah. He's just happy as a clam. Just vegging. Just, just chilling. He's been out there for weeks, you can tell, by his bronze <laughs> skin. tan line. He's maybe got a... Beverage with him or something. Yeah. Uh, speaking of injuries overall, we've got an injury rate of like 53 out of 100,000 for, for basically groin injuries, which is low but higher than some. Uh, generally speaking, the adductor slash groin tear is the most common, consisting of about 25.5% of injuries in that area. So ninety percent of those are going to be hockey players, right? So yeah, men's soccer is actually considered the highest, and really? then men's ice hockey number two, followed by women's uh, ice hockey, and then women's soccer. So women are less likely to have groin injuries than men. Whatever that you want to make of that, I, I don't really know. The the most common mechanism is a non-contact mechanism. So about forty-eight point four. So call it fifty percent are non-contact injuries. And then another 20% are overuse or gradual onset. So that makes up about 70%, which means 30% or less are traumatic and or blunt trauma, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of how that breaks up. Uh, last statistic from an epidemiological standpoint is that 1.3% of injuries require surgery, which, I just, which is very low. Yeah. Which is good. I think the last one we'll see is like a kicker in football who pulled the groin muscle off the bone. I think that guy probably had surgery on that thing. Can't remember who that was. One of the punters, I think. Was that on a blocked punt or was that a? I don't remember. I just remember hearing that and thinking, "Ow." Yeah, that's got that, hurt. That can't be good at all. No, that's a sensitive area to begin with. Yeah, these statistics all come from a study by Prodromo and Nezugu. At all, I, I think when you're when you have a really hard name and you do research, you should adopt an easier research name. Just say Smith. Yeah, or James. James, John, and Michael James. Um, this was in the Orthopedic Journal of Sports Medicine in uh, 2018, so pretty new. Epidemiology of hip and groin injuries in collegiate athletes in the United States. So, 
Um, pretty good source. They looked at almost 2,000 participants. Pretty decent sized. Signs and symptoms of groin injury and the acute injuries, groin pain, tenderness with palpation, palpation being kind of touching. Typically speaking, there's no loss of strength initially and range of motion is usually full. It's a, it's a big difference between like an FAI and a groin pull, right? Yep. No hip, no impingement, no loss of motion, mm-hmm. just pain. Um, adults are more likely to have an injury to the tendon and kids or younger individuals are more, cl- more likely to have an avulsion fracture, which you've discussed in a prior podcast and we'll link that in the description below. Fantastic. Yeah. Grading of these is, is fairly straightforward. A grade one is essentially no loss of strength or function, has less than 5% muscle disruption. Uh, that's determined by like MRI, so most of these aren't going to get MRI, so that's a very random kind of number to point out there. But basically, no loss of strength or function, you've got essentially a grade one. Tender, you know, hurts with activity. Grade two is considered greater than 5% tear. There's usually more sharp pain. There's loss of strength, and there will be usually some bruising. There's some sort of ecchymosis going on. So you will see the physical bleeding component of a tear. And then we jump all the way to a grade three, which is a complete tear. So a grade two is a really large spectrum, basically between, you know, 5% torn and 99% torn. (laughs) So... We're talking about a pretty large number of percentages there. Good news is most people, grade one is, is typical. That's, that's typically what you'll see in most cases. Um, a lot of people have groin injuries and don't go in, so there aren't a lot of additional follow-up studies on some of those. Uh, chronic signs, so somebody who's dealing with a more chronic groin issue, Um, Inner thigh pain, usually that can radiate either down into the thigh or up into the abdomen. Uh, It's a vague or more more diffuse pain. You can't quite pinpoint it to one spot. Generally speaking, pain with an exercise, and then there will be stiffness following the exercise, and also usually morning stiffness going on with that. So what's interesting about that abdominal pain is that adductor longus and then rectus abdominis have a pretty close insertion on the pelvis, and so symptoms can sometimes overlap between those two. And that's how you get abdominal pain with a groin pole, generally speaking. That's, a, that's interesting. Anatomically interesting. Yeah. Testing, pretty simple. Uh, palpation, if it hurts to touch, you've got a pretty darn good idea. Uh, resisted adduction, so basically using the groin muscle in a shortening fashion. If that produces the same symptoms, you've got a very consistent set there. There are a bunch of different versions of those types of tests. They all have fancy names. Basically, they boil down to the same thing. If it hurts to touch and if it hurts with use, then you have a pretty darn good idea that you can label it a groin injury. And then if you feel that somebody would benefit from additional follow-up from there, you can certainly go look into MRIing, etc. Generally speaking, not necessary. Wouldn't change the, uh, the, the course of treatment, right? Unless you had a large avulsion fracture or yep. a massive tear. But otherwise, it wouldn't change. So that's the big thing about imaging, right? We should probably trust our skill level a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely something that you see more often done to sort of cover your butt versus it actually being necessary. Right. It's not, it's not always diagnostic. It's more uh, liability. Yeah, liability, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
Yeah. Uh, return to sport. Basically, the rule of thumb is when pain has subsided and range of motion and strength are equal to the uninvolved side, that's when you can return to sport. I mean, that's a very loose statement. Some people, it takes a few days. Some people, it takes a few weeks. It, again, just depends on severity. I think the biggest problem with the groin pull is like what we see in, in calf injuries and hamstring injuries, too, that there's so much reoccurrence. Chronicity. Of people uh, yeah. returning too soon. Did I, did I go before my turn? No. Or are you going to touch on no, that? No, you're doing okay. awesome. No. no, absolutely. That is one that we watch out for. So prevention is kind of an area that we like to be involved with. Generally, lower extremity exercises are a prevention for this. Biking, squatting, lunging, heel raises. I mean, pick something on the lower extremity. If you want to make it more involved to the, to, to the adductors, right, go single leg. Do single leg squats, do single leg movements, whatever, hamstring curls, pick something. If you go unilateral with those, you force more stability and you force the adductors to become more involved. So, again, sports like hockey are, are, are special movement, and so with those, you know, you might want to do a little bit more groin eccentric work. Um, but across the board, if you just do low extremity stuff, you've done a pretty good job. To get more specific, yeah, adduction movements, resisted adduction movements, isometric, eccentric movements, also very good. Yeah, the, the thing about the adductor is just like what well, we just touched on the hamstring and the, and the calf is that a lot of times people think the only thing they need to do is stretch it. And with a, a muscle that tends to be hypertone physiologically and functionally, um, stretching can actually make a muscle even tighter. So you gotta, you gotta be um, sure that you're doing the right thing. And eccentric loading is always a good thing, functionally speaking, uh, especially for a hypertone muscle. Yeah, so something we'll usually do is we'll put down kind of a skater mat and uh, have people kind of reach out and reach in. Yeah, kind of a, yeah speed skating. Sort of Working thing. on speed skating control is, is, a, is yeah. an excellent motion or doing speed skaters initially uh, by sliding and then you can go into a dynamic speed skater or a, or a mm -hmm. lateral lunge or jump. Um, but those are great exercises. For sure. And then we also touch on just ab abdominal wall stuff, particularly stabilization. So transverse abdominus, rectus abdominus activity there because, again, of that close relationship between adductor longus and rectus abdominus. It's, it's helpful to get the muscles above and below. Absolutely. Yeah. Hence, therefore, with the groin pull. The groin pull. Trivia time. Last week's trivia. Which teams played the first NHL game? Sort of a difficult question, actually. Yeah, I, I did not have a clue. The, their current teams, the Montreal Canadiens and Ottawa Senators, played the very first NHL game on December 19th, 1917. Uh, on that same day, there was the other two teams. The Montreal Wanderers played the Toronto Hockey Club. Uh, I believe they were called the Toronto Arenas at that time. Ooh which was also on the same day, December 19th, 1917. What's interesting is the first NHL goal was scored in the Wanderers versus Arenas game, not in the Canadians versus Senators game. Gotcha. So the first game played did not actually produce, produce the, first the first goal. That's fascinating. So, difficult there. So Dave Ritchie is credited with the first goal. He's a Montreal Wanderers defenseman. So the first NHL goal was scored by a defenseman. 
We had uh, some solid guesses from Liz, classmate of mine. She she got Montreal and uh, and Ottawa. Then Jamie Antobin also got Montreal Canadiens and Ottawa Senators. Nice job, Jamie. Yep. Nothing nothing from TJ. I'm surprised. Surprised. Uh, TJ must have been uh, isolated. Maybe maybe. Uh, Tony Creo, good guess. Toronto, Montreal, very appropriate. And then uh, Lisa came in with Canadians and Bruins, which was the first game of the original six, but not but the not first the NHL first game. game. Gotcha. So, yeah, that's a tough one. Lots very, of hockey info there. Very, very specific, very difficult. Yep. This week's question, which state produces the most potato chips? Yeah. Think about this one before you shout out Idaho. So not potatoes. Potato chips. It's a good one. Yeah. And it's a it's by by a large number. It's it's pretty impressive. It's a lot. Yeah. They make a lot of chips. They make it. A lot of chips. Ton of chips. Probably yeah. more than one ton. Uh, I think it's I think there's something like a billion tons of tons. chips made a year and so think of all the potatoes it takes. Although some of them are not made with potatoes, right? They are made with potatoes, they're just not chips because they're dough. Potato dough. Talking yeah. Pringles, you're talking Pringles. Yeah, but, but like yeah. corn chips. Oh, corn chips. Yeah, chips yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Doritos. Yeah. Doritos. I guess, I guess everybody lumps that into the potato chip chip category. Mm-hmm. Um, but no. Going on about my little pet peeve potato corn but thing. No. Can we try? Chip time! Boulder Canyon, jalapeno cheddar, chip tear ratio, an impressive 65%. Wow, I mean, go Boulder Canyon. These chips are made with um, extract. They've been doing a lot of extracting. A lot of extract. I'm taking Yeast this extract, today. Extractives of paprika and extractives of turmeric, which I think is what makes it turn yellow, not the cheddar. They are looking a little yellow. It's a kettle chip, so a good crunch. Yeah, nice skin edge chip. Um, what I was afraid of is happening, that the cheddar is overpowering the, um, the jalapeno. I guess cheddar is an easier flavor to reproduce, or... Huh. I had such high hopes. There's there's good heat. There's good jalapeno. I mean, based on the smell, you would think it would have been a lot stronger jalapeno. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think you catch a little jalapeno late on the tongue. You definitely get more of that spice. It's, um, but it's... I feel that the, ched the cheddar is overpowering, which is a shame. Hmm. I think it's quite good. Good chip. Okay, I'm liking this flavor. I do like it. It's too cheddary for me. Um, I'm just gonna go one thumb. I'm gonna give it two. I would not. Um, yeah, I knew that was happening, which is good because yeah. I ate all of last week's bag, and you can have this one. Good for um, me. Yeah. Um, Boulder Canyon, if you're listening. You're on the right track with the jalapeno. Probably maybe, call it cheddar jalapeno, though. Yeah, maybe mix it with something uh, a little different, like paprika or something a little less. Cheddar has a tendency to be overpowering, right? It's like when you use sour cream and onion in a chip. No matter what else you mix with it, it's yeah. going to taste like sour cream and onion. Yeah, and I think cheddar does sour. that, too. Yeah. Um, pretty good. But the, the, the chip is good. The taste is just... I'm, yeah, I'm going to stick with one thumb. No, I think it's... I think it's a fair score. Three total thumbs. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair. Yeah. Now I'm rinsing my mouth because I can't get rid of the cheddar. 
Well, thank you for listening today. Next week, we're going to cover corticosteroids. So this will be both oral and injection and topical and whatever else we decide to cover. And then we will be reviewing Feast and Fury Habanero Hickory Barbecue. Ah, uh, see, now we're talking. Yeah, so this could be a real, this could be a real treat. Real um, looking forward to it already. If you like today's episode, please tell your friends, follow, review, subscribe. If you're looking for more information on groin injuries, give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter this week. We will be posting a bunch of stuff on there. If you want more information on rebound therapy, head to the website, reboundclinic.com. He's Jim, I'm Christian. Thanks for listening.